This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Andy Griffith Show, The Rachel Maddow Show, Comedian Lee Camp, The Young Turks, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Black Agenda Report, The Progressive Magazine, The Tom Hartman Program, Counterspin, Le Show, and Activism from the Unfuck It Up Project. And a note that, yes, you heard me right, I said The Andy Griffith Show. We hit up wait, wait, the cell wait, wait, window. Wait a minute. What, what are you talking about? We bugged Mr. Blake's cell. You what? We bugged the cell with Arnold's tape recorder. Just listen to this, Paul. I, I can't listen to that. But, Paul... Opie, I can't listen to that. I'm not permitted. But, Paul, you don't understand. Opie, I can't listen to this. Now, I told you about eavesdropping. But, Paul, this is different. Yes, it's worse. You overheard a conversation that was supposed to be private. Now, I can't be a party to that. But, Paul, if you just listen to this... Opie, I can't listen. Paul, you're erasing the tape! That's what I mean to do. You bugged a conversation between a lawyer and his client. Now, that's violating one of the most sacred rights of privacy. But, Paul... No buts. But if it helps the law... Opie, the law can't use this kind of help. Because whether a man is guilty or innocent... We have to find that out by due process of law. The new leaks about how much the NSA is spying on us, despite their remit to only spy on people in other countries. The huge amount of attention to these new revelations has obscured a little bit the fact that these are just the latest in a long series of revelations about how much the NSA is spying on us. And you can go all the way back to the church committee hearings from the time that Martin Dempsey and David Petraeus and Keith Alexander were just getting out of West Point. You can go all the way back to the church committee hearings and the big revelation back then were NSA operations like Operation Shamrock. The select committee made its first inquiries into this operation last May. The Church Committee, headed by Senator Frank Church of Idaho, exposed widespread abuses of power at the FBI and the CIA and revealed that the NSA had been spying on Americans for decades. What was Operation Shamrock? Operation Shamrock was a, a program of the National Security Agency uh, to collect to obtain access to telegrams that were leaving the United States uh, for other countries, for foreign countries. And the idea was that the NSA would look through the, these telegrams, look for telegrams of interest from a foreign intelligence standpoint. Are you saying all the telegrams going out of the U.S.? How did they get access? They asked. <laughs> I mean, that sounds very simplistic, but they approached the uh, communications carriers, the telegraph companies concerned. RCA, ITT. And Western Union. So in Operation Shamrock, what we saw was the NSA turning its foreign intelligence operations internally on American communications. Exactly, yeah. Operation Shamrock was uh, getting access to all the uh, communications c 
coming into going out of and going through the United States. There were very few rules back there, very few laws, regulations that dealt with what NSA or any intelligence agency could collect back then. The capabilities were there, the restraints weren't there, the temptation is to do it. The committee believes that serious legal and constitutional questions are raised by this program. The NSA had been founded in the 1950s. By the 1970s, the revelations that were shocking the country about what they were doing with telegrams, right? By, by the time James Bamford was writing the first big investigatory book about the NSA in 1982, a book called The Puzzle Palace, we were just on the verge of the computing revolution. Remember, Time Magazine named the personal computer machine of the year in 1983. Right? Imagine how NSA's capabilities have changed since then. By the 2000s, the NSA's computing power was being put to use in the form of wholesale tapping of internet and phone communications. By 2005, we had the revelation of all that warrantless wiretapping and the NSA essentially making and taking its own copy of everything happening on the internet. We have had these revelations periodically, essentially since the NSA was born. And since guys like James Bamford first, and then a lot of other people thereafter, started reporting on all the secret things that the NSA does. But these revelations that periodically shock us about what they do, they basically never result in them stopping doing this thing that is shocking us. The programs, even the revealed programs, the leaked programs, they don't go away. They just expand over time. If we are weirded out by the power of the NSA, their power so far is something that only grows. So how does that end? your moment of clarity from LeeCamp.net. Barack Obama is the best president we've ever had. John Boehner, Eric Cantor, and Mitch McConnell are the best congressmen we've ever seen. The whole government is fucking perfect. They only care about the people of America and they would give up all power, money, and name recognition just to keep the United States healthy, wealthy, and wise. They fart rainbows and they piss silly string. Let's pretend just for a second that that's true. Every word of it. I know it takes some serious imagination. It takes more mental gymnastics than Donald Trump does each morning to convince himself he's a babe magnet with a full head of hair. But let's pretend it's true. Let's say it's true just for a second. And that that is the reason you are fine with the massive NSA spying program that's been put in place by President Obama and President Bush and leaked by Edward Snowden. Let's say you're fine with all the spying because just like the mainstream media and so many political leaders on the right and left, you believe they have our best interests at heart. Then let me ask you this. What happens with this massive surveillance infrastructure when a dictator does get into the Oval Office in the future, when a tyrant who doesn't fart rainbows works his way to the top of our political system? He, or she, I don't want to be sexist here, would have a full surveillance state 
at their fingertips. Every tool a dictator could ever want, like a kid in a candy store, like Toronto Mayor Rob Ford in a crack den. Do I want to play with the spying on every phone call toy? Or maybe they're looking at every email trinket? Or, or oh wait, there's indefinite detention of American citizens without a trial or charges? That looks like so much fun. Oh, wait, 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 but I can't forget extraordinary rendition and torture. It's so tough to decide. I don't know. But why bother with that when, when, when I could just have a brand new kill list that includes American citizens. Are you seeing this? This is amazing. This is, I can't, I can't, it's so tough to decide. I can't, I can't believe the American people gave me all these toys and they crucified the guy that told them about them. <laughs> they literally, they literally put the messenger in prison. They imprisoned the messenger. I can't breathe! I can't breathe! I think it would look a lot like that. You know, our Constitution has separation of powers and a Bill of Rights for a reason. And how long can people wipe their asses with it before it's no longer a usable document? The top-ranking Republican on the Homeland Security Committee said she had never heard of the NSA program. That's not separation of powers. That's defecation of powers. In the U.S. right now, there are 66 thousand structurally deficit bridges in desperate need of repair before someone dies. Our roads are crumbling and our newest train tracks were built by slaves when slavery was still legal. So we don't have the time or money for that kind of infrastructure, but we have more than enough time, money, and will to put in place a full frontal, all-powerful surveillance state on our own people. A dictator's toolkit waiting to be used. By the way, a quick note on Edward Snowden. Let's say you hate him. Let's say he's the worst human being you've ever heard of. He makes Charles Manson look like Tom Hanks. He sneezes without covering his mouth. He eats people's french fries when they go to the bathroom. He flicks baby's ears. And they found his girlfriend's head in a ditch. Let's say all of that were true. It would have nothing to do with the NSA spying program. It's like someone telling you your house is burning down and you then see it burning and go, like I'm gonna listen to a high school dropout. Not this time, buddy. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. We don't need no water, let the motherfucker burn. Burn, motherfucker. Hey, this is Lee Camp. I hope you've enjoyed having my Moment of Clarity rants pumped into your skulls. If you have, you would almost definitely love my free Moment of Clarity backstage podcast, where I discuss the topics of the day. You know, the little things, like the corporate raping and pillaging of our world. I also have on fun, awesome guests like this lady. My name is Janine Garofalo. This guy. Hi, I'm John Oliver. And even sometimes this guy. This is Greg Palace, and I've got my zipper caught in Moments of Clarity. Free at Lee Camp. Net, iTunes, Stitcher, or the Android app. Plus, there's a Moment of Clarity book for those of you who thought, I love Moment of Clarity, but I hate how I can't lick it. Well, now you can. The Moment of Clarity book and ebook, get it at LeeCamp.net or on most e reader platforms. And remember, keep fighting and stay angry. Daniel Ellsberg is the guy who leaked the Pentagon Papers, and oftentimes he's cited as a person uh, that is not like Edward Snowden, who showed us the NSA security violations, our privacy violations, in the name of security, I should say. 
And by the way, the NSA is breaking the law. Uh, it is clearly against Section 215 of the Patriot Act, which says that uh, you must have a specific tangible thing that you're looking to get as part of a relevant investigation. There is no relevant investigation on 300 million Americans. Okay? They're breaking the law, they're breaking the Fourth Amendment. Snowden is not the criminal. Snowden is the person who pointed out the criminality. Okay. Now, nonetheless, people will say, oh, no, you see that Ellsberg stayed in the country. And Ellsberg was a hero. He didn't run away to China or Russia. So Ellsberg decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to write an editorial in the Washington Post and set you straight. Let me tell you what I actually think. He said, quote, many people compare Edward Snowden to me unfavorably for leaving the country and seeking asylum rather than facing trial as I did. I don't agree. The country I stayed in was a different America a long time ago. Man, that hurts to read. It really does. And he's so right. Back then, even under Nixon, we were a much better America. We were an America that tolerated dissent, that actually believed in journalism. In fact, it was that same journalist that wound up taking down Nixon. And that even if, as badly as Nixon wanted to go after Ellsberg in legal and illegal ways, we didn't let him because we were a better country than that, right? Ellsberg continues to explain. He said, look, for the whole two years I was under indictment, I was free to speak to the media and at rallies and public lectures. He got bail. He was released. He was out there giving lectures. Can you imagine Edward Snowden coming back here? I'm like, okay, your bail set at $50,000. You're free to go. Go ahead and hold a rally. <laughs> no, America is so much more draconian. America would never allow that anymore. You showed our crimes and the unconstitutional violations of privacy of Americans? It is inconceivable that he would see the light of day. And even if you are the hardest core right-winger who loves our new surveillance state, or you are the hardest core Obama loyalist who thinks that Obama must be right and Snowden hence must be a terrible person, you don't really believe that they would let Snowden out to go to rallies, as we did with Ellsberg back in the day. Of course not. It is a police state. Anyone who tells us what our government is up to will be in prison, likely for life. And Ellsberg explains there too. He says, quote, There is zero chance that he would be allowed on bail if he, were, if he returned now. And close to no chance that had he not left the country, he would have been granted bail. Instead, he would be in a prison cell like Bradley Manning, incommunicado. Two important points there. One is the last point there. He's like, look, part of the reason I stayed in the country was because I wanted to end the Vietnam War. I wanted to expose what the government was doing. And I wanted to share my story and tell people about it here in the U.S. Here, now you can't do that. They lock you up in a cell, and he explains in the editorial what they did to Bradley Manning. Eight months, over eight months in isolation. Stripped him naked at night, etc. The United Nations declared that cruel, inhuman, degrading treatment, which, by the way, is supposed to be against the Eighth Amendment. But apparently we don't care about the Fourth Amendment, the First Amendment, the Eighth Amendment anymore. No one cares. How about a speedy trial? How about the Fourth and Fifth Amendment? How about due process? It took three years before Bradley Manning got a trial. He's in the middle of it now. Under what theory do you think Edward Snowden would have received a fair trial and would have been allowed to speak to the American people about what the government was doing wrong? He's a whistleblower. They would have put him in a dungeon like they did to Bradley Manning. That's the new America. The police state America. Big Brother America. Back when Ellsberg did the Pentagon Papers, 
even in the dark times of Nixon, we were a much better country than that. How sick is it that we now have a Democratic, so-called progressive president who's so much more draconian and right-wing than Nixon was? That any whistleblower stands no chance. They'll all be charged with the Espionage Act. And guess what Obama did to Snowden? Charged them with the Espionage Act. He's now done that seven times. All other U.S. presidents combined only did it three times. You know Snowden didn't commit espionage. You know he wasn't trying to sell secrets to the Russians. The Russians are kicking him out of the country as we speak, trying to get him to Venezuela because he won't give them secrets. China removed him from Hong Kong. Obviously, he doesn't work for them. But it doesn't matter. He blew the whistle on what the government was doing. And there's nothing that our government and Obama administration hates more than that. How dare you question us? Now you talk about how he should have stayed here and faced the consequences. Would you? Would you have had anywhere near the courage that Snowden had to reveal the illegality in the first place? And then you talk about, oh, well, he didn't do it the right way. <laughs> and he didn't sit there and go into his dungeon cell in the appropriate manner. Oh, wow. Thank you for your opinion on that. Thank God Ellsberg's around here to tell you how it is in reality. God bless American heroes like Daniel Ellsberg. Look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's a person to save all we've made. This is your average everyday superpower, superhero, steady flying through the sky, and I'm trying to save people. Faster than a bullet, tougher than a tank, running like a train, nothing in his way, he's come to save the day. From the evil doers and the villains, filling up the street, the shepherd to stop the fox from killing all the sheep, a million on his beat. He watches the whole city as it sleeps, a guardian to keep the peace on the streets like the newspaper reads a hero arises, a new hope for a people in crisis. You know, of all the horrible news stories of last week or this week, nothing made me sadder than to listen to Melissa Harris Perry on MSNBC talk about Edward Snowden. And uh, it was it's about a three minute uh, rant she goes on. And uh, I'm going to try and play the whole thing straight through, okay? it's uh, We'll talk about it at the end. Here we go. Espionage, international intrigue, secret government surveillance, bad airport food. The Edward Snowden saga continued on Friday when the leaker, who revealed information about the NSA's surveillance of phone and internet records, spoke out from the Moscow airport, where he's been holed up for three weeks, to demand that the U.S. stop interfering with his attempts to escape prosecution. I did not seek to sell U.S. secrets. I did not partner with any foreign government to guarantee my safety. Which is why my letter this week is to Edward Snowden. Dear Ed, it's me, Melissa. Here you're looking for a country. Well, wouldn't you know it, I have an idea for you. How about this one? Come on back to the USA, Ed. Now, I know you're not super pleased with the government these days, and I feel you. The information you revealed about surveillance raises serious issues about the behaviors of our leaders and how they justify and hide those practices from the public. But here's the deal. It's time to come home and face the consequences of the actions for which you are so proud. Now, I know you must feel you've already given up a lot to reveal government secrets. Your well-paid job, your life in Hawaii, your passport, and maybe your intentions were completely altruistic. It's not that you wanted attention, but that you wanted us, the public, to know just how much information our government has about us. Now, that is something worth talking about. But by engaging in this Tom Hanks-worthy, border-jumping drama through some of the world's most totalitarian states, you are making yourself the story. 
Now, we could be talking about whether accessing and monitoring citizen information and communications is constitutional, or whether we should continue to allow a secret court to authorize secret warrants using secret legal opinions. But we're not. We're talking about you and flight paths between Moscow and Venezuela and, and how much of a jerk Glenn Greenwald is. We could at least be talking about whether the Obama administration is right that your leak jeopardized national security. But we're not talking about that, Ed. We're talking about you. Uh, and now I can imagine you'd say, well, then just stop. Just talk about something else. But see, here's the problem. Even if your initial leak didn't compromise national security, your new cloak and dagger game is having real and tangible geopolitical consequences. So, well, we have to talk about you. I mean, we're talking about how maybe now you're compromising national security by jumping from country to country, causing international incidents and straining U.S. relationships with Russia and China. Really important relationships. And we're talking about how you praise countries like Russia and Venezuela for standing against human rights violations and refusing to compromise their principles. Seriously, Ed, where do you even come up with that? What? What are you thinking? What is now, just... I understand you don't want to come back. I mean, to do so would mean giving up your freedom. Definitely before trial and likely for several months or years thereafter. I get it. It's, it's in prisons in the U.S. that commit actual human rights violations. We just talked about it. More than, more than 80,000 prisoners are held in solitary yeah. confinement, some for years, some indefinitely, despite the fact that solitary is cruel and psychological da damaging. I know those aren't the human rights violations, though, Ed, that you were complaining about. But, but you might have nothing to worry about anyway. Because unlike most of the people in solitary confinement, Including, including private Bradley Manning on trial for giving data to WikiLeaks, you've cultivated for yourself a, a level of celebrity. And that celebrity itself may just act as the protection, a kind of, another kind of cloak. If you ever find yourself in a U.S. prison, what? you have made quite a spectacle of yourself, and the Obama administration will be very careful about how it treats you, unlike how states treat all those other prisoners. So come on home, Ed. Then, you know, we could talk about something else. Sincerely, Melissa. Wow. That was more over the, all over the map than uh, Snowden is. You know? <laughs> well, can I just... <laughs> let me just... Freaking didn't make any sense left it and right. And left and like, well, I, I, she's, I, trying to, she's trying to do Rachel, Rachel Maddow, I think. That was, yes. that was kind of mind-blowing, right? So I, have, I wrote a letter. Uh, she wrote a letter to Edward Snowden, so I have a letter... For Melissa Harris Perry, and it says, Oh, Melissa, with your adorable liver acting, while you're killing the messenger, don't forget to read the message about who was reading our messages. What's amazing is that Melissa lists off some of the stories she could have chosen to be covering right now instead of wasting her breath on blaming the victim. FYI, the perpetrator in this instance is Melissa. Edward Snowden. It's your fault that we're all talking about you. Stop making us talk about you. Well done, Melissa. You certainly outsmarted him by continuing to talk about him. So let's stop talking about what a journalist Glenn Greenwald is. Excuse me, what a jerk Glenn Greenwald is. And talk about what a jerk you are. When it comes to character assassination, Melissa Perry is happy to pull the trigger. And when it comes to missing the point, she's an expert marksman. 
The only way you make Melissa stop talking about you is if you come home, Ed, and taste the same kind of justice that Bradley Manning, John Caracu, Jose Padilla, and Trayvon Martin got. That requires more bravery than I would ask of anyone. By Melissa's reasoning, the only worthy civil disobedience is the type done behind bars. I like the way Melissa accuses Snowden of seeking celebrity when she's paid a fuck ton of money to talk into a camera and not do actual journalism. Clearly, Snowden is doing it for the celebrity. Yeah, uh-huh. already he's got 40 more Twitter followers, a movie deal, his picture <laughs> on the cover of People magazine, and a future of being hunted by the United States government <laughs> for the rest of his life. <laughs> and while the government is violating people's constitutional rights, Melissa is accusing Snowden of playing cloak and dagger games in a Russian airport terminal? Asking countries for asylum sounds like a shitty cloak and dagger game to me. (laughs) And anyone who stands up to say what the government's doing is wrong must face trial and incarceration from that very same government. Unless they do that, they're just making a spectacle of themselves. Makes as much sense as anything else she just said. Yeah, I'm sure this opinion got Melissa high fives at the Comcast weekend picnic. (laughs) (laughs) So what you're saying is this, Melissa, if I've got you right. Whistleblowers like Snowden should totally keep coming forward, but when their story becomes inconvenient to your bad editorial decisions, you would encourage them to turn themselves into federal authorities and quietly go away. Yes, like remember when the press made Deep Throat the real story and the Washington Post urged him to reveal his identity so they could get back to reporting on the felonies committed by Nixon? (laughs) Yes, in our current media world, if Watergate happened today, Woodward and Bernstein would be put in jail while Nixon would remain in office. FYI, what Melissa Perry did here is much worse than a local news station that broadcast the joke names of an (laughs) Asian pilot. (laughs) Dear Melissa, if you find another way of not talking about the unconstitutional NSA program, I'll know who to blame. It's that damn puppet master Edward Snowden again. (laughs) Hey, Melissa, you got any beliefs you're willing to rot in prison for? Sincerely, Jimmy. I like Yay. Okay. You don't have the guts to put your last name on that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you, you know what? I found I found a quote that uh, Edward Snowden actually said on uh, July 12th that she was responding to. And it's very short. And he says, I don't want to live in a world where everything that I say, everything I do, everyone I talk to, every expression of creativity or love or friendship is recorded. And that's not something I'm willing to support. It's not something I'm willing to build. And it's not something I'm willing to live under. America is a fundamentally good country. We have good people with good values who want to do the right thing. But the structures of power that exist are working to their own ends to extend their capability at the expense of the freedom of all publics. And that's what she's mad about? (laughs) That's what she says, this man seeking celebrity? And she doesn't ever call him a whistleblower. She refers to him as a leaker. Yeah, he's a leaker. He's a leaker. And she just mocks him. Like, you know what, Melissa, once you, you know, (laughs) this guy did more to impact our society than your journalism ever will.
if there's one thing House Tea Party Republicans, liberal Senate Democrats, the White House, and corrupt TV talking heads from Fox to MSNBC all agree on, it's that Edward Snowden is an ungrateful thief with an exaggerated sense of his own importance. The fact that Snowden is no heroic whistleblower is proved, they say, by his not going through legal channels, by his theft of government and proprietary secrets, by his willful violation of confidentiality oaths and federal laws, and most of all, by Snowden's international flight and his completely unreasonable refusal to turn himself in for possible life imprisonment and likely torture. Federal cops and or intelligence officials bring in secret requests under secret interpretations of the law to harvest, store, and data mine literally every phone call, every credit card transaction, every email, instant message, tweet, web search, and digital brain fart of 310 million Americans to a secret court whose dockets and rulings are also secret, which doesn't matter much because the secret court never tells the government no is either not a problem at all, or at worst, something that we should discuss and address through legal channels. The problem, of course, is that if Snowden had not violated the law, there would be no insider confirmation of official crimes, and if he turned himself in to the tender mercies of the powerful criminals he exposed, well, that simply makes no sense. A hundred sixty-some years ago, Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass violated state and federal laws by stealing valuable property, their own persons, and fleeing north. While living quietly as a fugitive, Tubman armed herself and returned south again and again to steal an estimated 300 more pieces of human property. While also a fugitive, Frederick Douglass became a public and highly illegal whistleblower. He lectured audiences on the evils of slavery and eventually fled to Europe to avoid the long arm of the law. John Brown freed slaves in Missouri, led expeditions against pro-slavery death squads in Kansas, and was a wanted fugitive for the remainder of his life. The very idea of whistleblowers and dissidents needing to be respectable in the eyes of law and authority and even turn themselves in is clearly nonsense. Back in the day, authorities cast aspersions on the characters of Brown and Douglas and on any slave who rebelled, ran away, or otherwise violated his legal obligation to serve. We should treat speculations on Snowden's motives when they come from those being exposed the same way we treat a slaveholder's opinion of Tubman, Douglas, or Brown. Every day that Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, and John Brown walked the world as fugitives was a victory for real truth and freedom. Every day that Edward Snowden remains free to speak and to be heard is a hopeful day for all of us. He's no more obligated to turn himself in than the freedom fighters of 16 decades ago. For Black Agenda Radio, I'm Bruce Dixon. Run, freedom, run. Freedom, run away. My friends, you have to run, 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 run. Freedom, run away. That freedom, son, will shine someday. Till then, you better run, 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 run. Freedom, run away. Well, you should be. Freedom is scary. 
It's a blast of cool wind that burns your face to wake you up. Literally? Yes. There's a trickle of sweat. There's a trickle of sweat. It's dripping in your ear. It's dripping in your ear. Still, you gotta run, 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 free and run away. Now, don't you fret. And never fear. To freedom's a one, 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 one. Freedom, run away. Every day, it seems, like there's a new revelation about how the government's violating our privacy and taking away our presumption of innocence. First, we heard that the NSA was tracking all the phone calls of Verizon customers. Then it turned out that other telecom companies were cooperating with the NSA. And then it wasn't just phone calls. It was every email, Skype, YouTube, text message, you name it. If you communicate electronically, the NSA's grabbing your info. And then we find out that the U.S. Postal Service is scanning all our snail mail envelopes. And just yesterday, the ACLU reported that police departments around the country are scanning our license plates and tracking our travels. In none of these cases is there probable cause that those whom the NSA or the post office or the local police are surveilling are doing anything wrong. And that's not how it should be. The Fourth Amendment guarantees all of us the right to be secure in our persons, papers, houses, and effects. But that security, that privacy, is routinely violated today because we now live in a surveillance state, one where high-tech companies cooperate with the security forces to infringe upon our rights. This isn't a right-left issue. This is an issue where all Americans who respect our civil liberties can come together. We've got to reclaim our rights. I'm Matt Rothschild. And that's how I see it. Are we prisoners in the land of the brave and the bold? Held by indifference or hearts grown hard and cold? And prove to me, America, that you care. And prove to me, America, you're aware. Who's dying for you? This DEA thing, I promised to tell you about this, and I find this absolutely shocking, and I'm not, I'm surprised that this isn't like at the front of the New York Times and that more people aren't talking about this. Um, Reuters is reporting on this. They, they did the investigative research and dug this out. And what the Drug Enforcement Administration has been doing, under the guise of Nixon's war on drugs, is basically spy on everybody. Now, let me, let me back up a little bit and explain the, what I think is the theory behind this. One of the classic ways that countries that are devolving into something less than free and open societies move is by selective enforcement of the law. If you can create a law where a large percentage of your citizens are criminals, are lawbreakers, and, and then only prosecute people for it, or only aggressively prosecute people for it, when it's convenient or profitable or politically useful to you, then you fundamentally change the nature of society. For example, in China, my understanding, I don't know if this is the case right now, but it was 
some five years ago or so, the first time I wrote about this. In China, it was illegal to move out of your home city without the permission of the police. And when you moved to a new city, you had to register with the police and all that kind of thing. Well, I mean, this is a law that goes way back to Mao's times. When the industrialization of China really picked up speed 15, 20 years ago, people started moving like crazy into the big cities. And they didn't bother to get permission. In fact, in many cases, they didn't know who to get permission from. In most cases, they didn't even know about the law. So now you've got probably half the population of China is a lawbreaker. So when they want to round somebody up, hey, did you move with permission? No? Okay, off to prison with you. So, pot. Somewhere between 10 and 20% of Americans have at some point smoked pot in their lives. Maybe higher than that. If you look at throughout their entire lives. There are some estimates that 10% of Americans are smoking pot this year. I mean, the numbers are mind-boggling. It's a multi-billion dollar, perhaps a trillion dollar industry in the United States. So if you, are, if you have this declaration of war, which Richard Nixon did on, on people who smoke pot and take any other drug, and then you have an agency that's devoted to that drug war, the Drug Enforcement Agency, or administration, I don't know if, it's, if the A stands for agency or administration, whatever it is, the DEA, then they have all these special spying capabilities and powers because, after all, they're committed to this war. Well, it turns out that there's a division within the DEA that is supposed to be top secret. It's called the Special Operations Division, or SOD, S-O-D. Its work is so classified that when writers learned about it, they were asked not to even reveal where in Virginia the headquarters is located. And what they do, this is, there's a document that, was, that, gives, that is given to agents. It says, remember that the utilization of SOD cannot be revealed or discussed in any investigative function. In other words, they use this super spy part of the DEA to track somebody down and bust them, but they don't actually bust them. Instead, they find them doing something else, some other crime, not necessarily a drug crime. If I'm reading this right... This is from the Reuters report. The document specifically directs agents to omit the SOD's involvement from investigative reports, affidavits, discussions with prosecutors, and courtroom testimony. Agents are instructed to then use normal investigative techniques to recreate the information provided by SOD. So we've got this super secret, essentially out-of-control spy agency operating inside the DEA, and when they hand information off, to judges, to prosecutors, to defendants, to anybody. They conceal their own existence by saying, okay, we found this out through the sod techniques, and we don't, uh, you know, we're waiting for an Edward Snowden there. What are their techniques? We don't know. But because we don't want to reveal the existence of this, we're going to, now that we know that Joe Blow is smoking pot, we're going to, you know, ask the local police officer to walk by his house with a drug-sniffy drug dog tomorrow. And, oh, gee, look at that. In other words, let's, let's recreate the crime or recreate the discovery of the crime. 
The DEA has helicopters. They have gunships. They probably have drones. When they bust you, they get to keep your stuff, including your money. And they share information with the NSA, the FBI, etc. This is from a post by Jack Pine Radical over at DemocraticUnderground.com. Titled, Do You Get the Real Significance of the DEA Surveillance Story? Wow, just wow. This is, you know, America surveillance state. Now, again, I, I totally disagree with Representative Matt Shea that that's a reason for us to go out and buy 15, you know, AR-16s or whatever, the AR-14s, or any. I mean, he didn't specify a number or even a type of weapon, but you get my point. It is a good reason for us to, to wake up and get involved and, and participate in our political activities. Hi everyone, today in lieu of asking you to support this show, I want to ask you to support my fundraising effort for this year's Climate Ride. This will be my second year in a row raising money for 350.org, the best climate organization I know of with a massive international reach, and the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, the best local climate organization, which works in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, and also happens to be the place where I used to work, so I know personally how much they deserve the support. In exchange for you helping me reach my goal of $2,400 raised, I will be riding my bike the 300 miles between New York City and Washington, D.C. over the course of five days in September. To contribute, simply visit climateride.org and search for my name, Jay, and you'll see the full name, Jay Tomlinson, pop right up. Click the name, see my fundraising page, and make a tax-deductible donation. I've already contributed to get the ball rolling. Thanks in advance for your support. In response to the terror chatter that has the United States closing embassies around the world, the TV networks have given a platform to U.S. officials who are using this story to bolster the beleaguered National Security Agency. Across the Sunday chat shows on August 4th, lawmakers lined up to send the very same message. Sure, we've seen all of this controversy over NSA surveillance, but this is the kind of surveillance that stops terrorists. Meet the Press told viewers they'd get a debate, but what they got was far-right Rick Santorum and MSNBC liberal Joy Ann Reed basically agreeing with each other. Meet the Press did have one critic of government surveillance. They played a tape of Senator Frank Church appearing on the show in 1975. Now, if this is all for real, is the assumption that NSA snooping led the government to uncover this plot well-founded? Well, the Associated Press reported that one government official doesn't think so. Quote, an intelligence official said the controversial NSA programs that gather data on American phone calls or track Internet communications with suspected terrorists played no part in detecting the initial tip. Close quote. Nonetheless, we have people speaking openly about supposed al-Qaeda chatter, and then we see a Daily Beast report claiming that the intelligence about this pending attack came from the government listening in on an al-Qaeda conference call. Clearly, there are people in government who are talking, and in some cases spilling the beans on what seems like some rather sensitive matters. But these are the kinds of government leaks the government doesn't object to. 
there are moments when you just got to say something. Social convention be darned. For example, let's say you're interviewing the President of the United States. Now, willy-nilly, he's deserving, he or she, thank you very much, is deserving of a modicum of respect because, as I say, willy-nilly, the President is not only the head of government, the uh, person who climbed to the top of the greasiest pole in American society, but is also the head of state, the figure in whom is embodied the notion of nationhood. It's just that way because we made the mistake of getting rid of the monarch. You know, a meaningless person to whom we attach that, that kind of awe. So, okay, arguably, the President of the United States is owed at least that modicum of respect. Still, there are times when you just got to say something when you're interviewing the President of the United States. Uh, President of the United States. Case in point, this week, Charlie Rose on PBS interviewing President Obama talking about the assurances the President was giving that the scandal that has erupted around the reports of NSA surveillance of our phone calls and internet traffic, uh, the reassurance is that there's nothing to worry about. And then Charlie asks this. Should this be transparent in some way? It is transparent. That's why we set up the FISA court. He sounds impatient, and the only real rational response should have been, with all due respect, Mr. President, are you kidding? Case in point, from today's Washington Post. The public is getting a peek into the little-known workings of a powerful and mostly invisible government entity. The court whose secret rulings have, in effect, created a body of law separate from the one on the books, one that gives U.S. spy agency spy agencies the authority to collect bulk information about Americans' medical care, firearms purchases, credit card usage, and other interactions with business and commerce. The government can get virtually anything, says Senator Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon. He's a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee, so he's allowed to read many of the court's rulings, which are classified. It is transparent. That's why we set up the FISA court. Members of Congress from both parties are pursuing legislation to force the court's orders into the open. Critics say the court has undergone a disturbing shift created in 1978 to handle routine surveillance warrants, individualized, personalized warrants. Critics say it is now issuing complex, classified, Supreme Court-style rulings that are quietly expanding the government's reach into the private lives of Americans. Judges on this court are selected from the pool of sitting federal judges by the Chief Justice. That's required by the law that established the secret court. President doesn't nominate them. There is no additional confirmation process. The surveillance court is a different world of secret case law, non-adversarial proceedings, and rulings written by individual judges who rarely meet as a panel. They generally confer only with government lawyers and out of public view. It is transparent. That's why we set up the FISA court. Yet the judges have the power to interpret the Constitution and set long-lasting and far-reaching precedents on matters involving Americans' rights to privacy and due process under the Fourth Amendment. This fast-growing body of law is almost entirely out of view of legal scholars and the public. Most Americans do not have access to the court's full interpretation of the Constitution on matters of surveillance, search and seizure when it comes to 
snooping for terrorist plots and are limited in their ability to challenge it. All 11 of the current members were appointed by Chief Justice John Roberts, 10 originally appointed to the federal bench by Republican presidents. The court's under-the-radar approach proved a particular challenge this spring to the Electronic Frontier Foundation when it sought to file a motion seeking release of the prior finding of the unlawful government surveillance that was under the Bush administration. It turned out the mere act of finding the court proved a steep hurdle. Repeated calls to the court clerk from the foundation went unreturned, says an attorney for the group, which wound up submitting the motion through a staff member at the Justice Department whose officials were actively opposing the group's efforts. Quote, we never had any direct contact with the court, said the attorney for the foundation, and the other party in the proceeding was the gatekeeper. It is transparent. That's why we set up the FISA court. Mr. President, no due respect. Are you kidding? Why don't you stop making with the questions? Why don't you start making a few suggestions? Are you really interested? I mean, seriously, or are you? Since the last episode on the NSA spying program, more revelations have come out. The initiative is broader in scope than early reports indicated, sparking continued outrage that has even managed to reach members of Congress. Marches in cities across the country are happening regularly, including one less than two weeks ago in New York and one coming up in Chicago. They can be a great way to garner citizen support and keep an issue visible to the public and the press. But this is August, and right now Congress is in recess, and that provides a once-a-year opportunity to tell your legislators directly that the data-collecting program is not okay with you. The August recess isn't designed for expensive vacations and time with family. Legislators are supposed to hear from their constituents by making them available in their district offices and at town halls. The Rachel Maddow Show blog has a post on finding town halls in your district and how to demand one if your representative is laying down on the job. Show up and let them know you'll be watching their record on new legislation, both to reaffirm and fund the program or to repeal it, and holding them to account during their next run for office. If you are unable to attend a town hall or can't prompt your rep to follow through with their responsibility to hear you out in person, write and call while their staff's time is dedicated to responding to constituents. Contactingthecongress.org will link you to your legislators via phone, email, and mailing address. Your elected officials are supposed to work for you. Now, through their return to Washington on September 9th, is your chance to remind them. Links for today's campaign will be in the show notes and all the usual places. Visit the Best of the Left Facebook page for updates on this and other activism opportunities. Also, remember that we encourage you to use your phone or other mobile device to record audio of your experience at any political event you attend to send in to be used on the show. Could you help unfuck it up? And then say, are you really so fucking busy? You can't take one fucking minute to help unfuck it up. Because I'm willing to pick one thing to help unfuck it up. Won't you join me? Last Friday, President Obama comes out, talks about uh, NSA. Well, you know what? Brand new idea. Uh, Let's do transparency. 
Wow, that is interesting. So he comes up with three different points uh, that, uh, of substance that he'd like to do. He says, the government's position uh, should be challenged by an adversary in the FISA court. That's really important. I'm glad he said that. That's substantive. Agreed. Check. Okay. Now, he says uh, there should be some declassification of key NSA documents. Yeah, Snowden already did that. Check. <laughs> okay. He says there's going to be a, a website set up for transparency. <laughs> that website is, of course, going to just tell their legal justifications for doing all the things that they already do. It's not going to tell you anything new. It is inconceivable. Now, the third part is really interesting. They say that there's going to be a formation of a high-level group of outside experts to review our entire intelligence and communications technologies. Interesting, because today we found out who's going to be leading that group. Let me quote the Washington Post. The panel will be chosen by and report to Director of National Intelligence James Clapper. Hashtag oops. Wait a minute, how is it an outside group if it's chosen by the guy they're supposed to be reviewing and it reports to the guy they're supposed to be reviewing? And James Clapper, by the way, of course, the guy who went in front of Congress and absolutely lied, saying that they were not collecting data on millions of Americans. Later, he said that was an erroneous statement. That was the least untruthful thing he could say. That's the guy who's in charge of the independent outside review panel? This is a joke of epic proportions. Hashtag LOL. And there are other sides of the group won't turn out quite the way the president described it on Friday. Friday's speech talked about the need for input from outside experts with independent points of view. The president made no mention of the need for outsiders or independent viewpoints in his memo to Clapper. Well, how about the fact that uh, Snowden had nothing to do with this? President Obama promised us that during the press conference, are you kidding me, Snowden? What name so? Well, let's go to the president. Unfortunately, rather than an orderly and lawful process, to debate these issues and come up with appropriate reforms, repeated leaks of classified information have initiated the debate in a very passionate but not always fully informed way. Wait, wait, wait. Are you trying to imply that we would have had this debate in an orderly way if it wasn't for Snowden? Can you remind me again who's preventing this debate? Was it Snowden? Was he the one bottling it up? I believe it was you, Mr. Obama, who was totally preventing the debate in the first place. Okay, more. But given the history of abuse by governments, it's right to ask questions about surveillance, particularly as technology is reshaping every aspect of our lives. Well, are you not merciful? Why you will allow us to ask about what our government is up to? Why, thank you, President Obama. We really appreciate it. Well, tell me more about Snowden and whether he's a patriot or not, he was asked, had a fascinating answer. No, I don't think Mr. Snowden was a patriot. Uh, as I said in my opening remarks, I called for a thorough review of our surveillance operations before Mr. Snowden made these leaks. Ah. The fact is, is that ah. Mr. Snowden's been charged with three felonies. Um, if in fact he believes that what he did was right, then like every American citizen, he can come here, appear before the court uh, with a lawyer, uh, and make his case. Oh, that was awesome. Oh, no, no, I had this thing. I, man, I, this independent review board was just about to get started when Snowden re revealed all that information. All that lying we were doing to you before to cover it up 
Now, we were just about to change direction before Snowden came out. Come, how do you say that with a straight face? I don't think anybody inside the White House believes that. Certainly no one outside of the White House believes. That is comical. I literally laughed out loud when I first saw that. We were just, oh, get, get, hashtag get, get, get. Get out of here, man. That's crazy talk. And then, well, uh, Stone must be guilty. Why? Well, I've uh, charged him with three felonies. But wait, 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 wait. That was your decision. You can't say, well, he's not a patriot because I charged him with three felonies. And he says, well, he could have just turned himself in. I mean, you remember what we did to Bradley Manning? The United Nations described it as degrading and inhumane behavior. Even our own military justice said we had to knock off time uh, from his uh, sentence because it was so cruel and degrading what we had done to Bradley Manning. And by the way, we also didn't give him justice or even a trial for three years. I don't know why Snowden would be on the run. Why wouldn't he just trust President Obama? Why didn't he just turn himself in and say, President Obama, Obama I know you're about to reveal this program anyway. I'm so sorry for beating you to the punch by just nanoseconds. But here, cuff me. Yeah, that would have been the smart way to go. This is a preposterous, ridiculous press conference. And honestly, Obama's embarrassing himself. And here he is, does it again. If you look at the reports, even the disclosures that Mr. Snowden's put forward, all the stories that have been written, uh, what you're not reading about is the government actually abusing these programs and uh, you know, listening in on people's phone calls or inappropriately reading people's emails. What you're hearing about is the prospect that these could be abused. Now, part of the reason they're not abused is because these checks are in place. And those abuses would be against the law. First of all, wiretapping all 300 million Amer Americans is already abuse. You don't have to then go in and target political opponents for it to be called abuse. And by the way, it's also illegal. That is not what Section 215 of the Patriot Act says. And in fact, the authors of Section 215 of the Patriot Act says, we didn't intend that. That is not legal what you're doing. It's also unconstitutional. So the abuse isn't later when we take that information and use it against our political opponents. The abuse is when you collect information of uh, American citizens and violate their privacy and violate the Constitution while you're doing it. And then, second of all, to say that you're never going to abuse it is comical when over the weekend, General Hayden, who used to head this NSA, came out and said, oh, if there's another attack, we could use that information much more thoroughly. Nice, ominous warning for what the government can do with the information they have already collected. All right, this nonsense from President Obama continues. I'm also mindful of how these issues are viewed overseas because American leadership around the world depends upon the example of American democracy and American openness. Because what makes us different from other countries is not simply our ability to secure our nation, it's the way we do it, with open debate and democratic process. How does anybody take this guy seriously anymore? Open debate, open process? You're the one who snuffed out the debate in the first place. You're the one that closed the process 100%. And then when Snowden revealed it and actually opened the debate, you charged him with three felonies. How does that make you different than other countries that aren't so open? Now, this is preposterous. One more. There's no doubt that Mr. Snowden's leaks uh, triggered a much more rapid and... Uh, uh, 
compassionate response than would have been the case if I had simply appointed this review board to go through and I'd sat down with Congress and we had worked this thing through. Uh, I actually think we would have gotten to the same place um, and we would have done so without putting at risk uh, our national security uh, and some very vital ways that we are able to get intelligence that we need to secure the country. Is anyone really dumb or disingenuous enough to believe that we would have gotten to the same place? That, oh my, if Snowden hadn't come out, President Obama was just about to get to the same place where he revealed all this information about how they were secretly spying on all Americans and covering it up and lying about it. He was just about to do it. And, oh, Snowden, the way he has hurt our national security, really? How? Name one way he's hurt it. The only thing he's done is he has revealed what you now admit is true and that Congress didn't even know. And certainly the American people didn't know. You're supposed to be our representatives. You're supposed to be our president. You never told us. Snowden told us. So please spare me the bullshit as you come out here with your press conference and tell us, oh, I would have done it anyway without Snowden. What an unbelievable and ridiculous lie. Jay, this is Nick in Shanghai. I'm calling about your most recent climate episode where I noticed the complete lack of discussion of our food supply. A study commissioned by, of all places, foodservicewarehouse.com uh, and published on plusone.org, they claim that by replacing meat with insects, such as larvae or maggots even, would reduce greenhouse gases by 95%. So even if that is wildly inaccurate, let's say by 20%, just replacing what we eat, our current source of protein, with another source of protein, insects, would make a huge difference. Some guy, Marcel Dickey, he gave a TED Talk in 2010 about this same subject, eating insects instead of uh, meat from cows and sheep. And so I'm just wondering why we're focusing on taking on these entrenched interests, the Kulk brothers, when instead we could start eating differently. So my question is, why don't we start eating some bugs instead of burgers? Just a thought. Thanks, Jay. Hey Jay, what's up? This is Will from Tallahassee, Florida. I was calling in concern to your recent healthcare podcast. Now, I've heard a lot of things, and I've heard Cedar, Sam Cedar, you know, sing the praises of Obamacare and say that in certain places, New York and California, I think, are the ones he's been talking about, that prices from the exchanges are bringing rates down, premiums down. Um, but I've also listened to guys I trust, like, you know, Dan Carlin, say that he recently received a letter from his insurance company saying that just to expect rate increases, something in the nature of, you know, 60% on his premiums. So I guess this is more of a question than anything. 
what to believe and what you know what is what is the truth on this and why are certain certain states certain areas having seeing increases and uh, just what the truth is on this. All right, thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or to relate your firsthand experience from a political event you attended to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So a couple of interesting questions in the voicemail section today. I'll, I'll take them one at a time. First of all, insects and climate change. To begin, I will say that food production all around the world has a huge impact on carbon and methane emissions and global warming in general. But the caller said that switching from a, you know, animal meat-based diet to an insect-based diet could reduce carbon emissions by 95% and that is mathematically impossible because all of food production is somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 50% of our total carbon emissions. So by reducing, you know, even 100% of it, you'd only reduce 30 to 50% of our total emissions. So that said, I, if I had to guess, which I do, I think what that statistic would say, if it's correct, is that switching from a meat-based diet to an insect-based diet could reduce our meat or food-related, you know, food production-related carbon emissions by 95%. Uh, you know, I, I have definitely heard that insects are far more efficient in terms of, you know, transferring their energy that, you know, we all get it from the sun and then it goes to plants and then into animals through various ways uh, or insects. And then we eat all of those uh, either plants or animals or whatever because humans are omnivores. And so we get the energy that way. So I, I, I've definitely heard that insects are more efficient than animals in that respect and would definitely reduce our carbon emissions. Now, where I'm, I may disagree with the caller is just with the ease, <laughs> the ease with which he believes we can switch Western civilizations to an insect-based diet. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that any climate change organization worth its salt should advocate a vegetarian or vegan-based diet, as this show does. But the discussion on food choices is a lot more complicated than the one on fuel choices. And, you know, so my old boss, I used to work at a climate change organization, the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, and my old boss, the, uh, you know, executive director there, who's personally a vegetarian specifically for climate change reasons, uh, not because he doesn't like meat, he, you know, believes, he, he said he heard that the, the same portion of the brain that makes decisions about food choices for an individual is the same portion that helps that individual decide uh, what religious affiliations they'll have. In other words, a totally irrational part of the brain, which is not to say that all religious beliefs are completely irrational, but I think even religious people can understand the inherent irrationality of choosing one religion over another when they all claim to be the correct one, and it has a lot more to do with how a person was raised than you know an actual step-by-step -step analysis of all the religions to figure out which is the right one. Such is food choices. You know how you were raised is going to be a, a much bigger indicator of what your food choices are going to be in general than to actually step-by-step -step figure out you know what makes sense for you to eat based on just fueling your body and and what's good for the planet. So. I mean, yeah, I'll advocate for it. I just think, unfortunately, we're probably centuries away from getting 
people to switch over to an insect-based diet unless they're forced to do it. Secondly, Obamacare and, uh, and, and the costs sometimes going down, sometimes going up, progressive, sometimes singing its praises and so on. My understanding of, of what I think to be the progressive argument on Obamacare is, as the title of my healthcare episode indicated, Obamacare is not enough, which is to imply that it's better than what we had before, but it's nowhere near uh, what it needs to be. And so Obamacare, for instance, will cover more people and will be less expensive for some people. But one of the huge problems with it is that it actually doesn't have built-in cost restrictions. So the idea is that we'll, we'll uh, you know, create a universal coverage where everyone has to get insurance. Uh, so even so, lots and lots of healthy people have to sign up and get insurance, which increases the profits of the healthcare companies because they have a much broader pool of people paying into them, and then they don't have to pay out for all the healthy people. However, you know, there's nothing in the law that stops the health insurance companies from raising their rates anyways. You know, they don't have to raise their rates to maintain the same level of profitability, but they can and become even more profitable if they choose to. That's one of the huge problems. Now, you know, one of the good things is that we've restricted health insurance companies' ability uh, to uh, siphon money away from paying out for health insurance, uh, you know, for, for actual medical payments and just paying like administrative costs and, and executive pay and, and whatnot. We've restricted that. It used to be up in, you know, above 30%. We've restricted it to 20 and that's good, but that's still 20%. They can just raise their rates as, as high as the market will allow them. People will pay essentially whatever they have to pay in order to be insured. And so they, they raise their rates and that 20% may still be a smaller uh, percentage, but the gross amount that 20% represents going to administrative costs and executive pay could be as high as ever. So yeah, um, that's, I have no doubt that both, you know, Sam Cedar is right, that California and New York are seeing price reductions and that Dan Carlin is getting his prices raised and that they could all be related. It really has a lot to do with where you live, state policies, your income level, and so on. All of this is to say exactly why Obamacare should only be seen as a stepping stone to something better. It's, you know, it's better than where we were, but it really, really, really needs to be a stepping stone towards a single-payer healthcare system with true universal coverage because, you know, our current system is fundamentally broken and, and all of the incentives are in the wrong places to get the job done the way it actually needs to be done. So those are my thoughts on that. But if I if I said anything wrong, please correct me. Uh, you know, call in, leave your messages 202-999-3991. And that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you're not already subscribed to the show, uh, do that through either iTunes or the standard RSS feed or get a smartphone app like Stitcher or Best of Bluff has its own app just for the show made for iPhone, Android, Windows 8, uh, Windows 8 desktop even. It's ridiculous. Uh, thanks also and especially to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. Uh, huge thanks to those who keep donating to my Climate Ride fundraiser. I'll be thanking everyone on the show at some point. Go to climateride.org and search for my name there to make a donation yourself. 
Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter, and for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame how we get so trained We can't see past all the sad stories And wonder what we're missing We can't see past all the sad stories And forget how to listen We can't see past all the sad stories And wonder what we're doing Stories and forget who it is we're